Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. everybody episode 43 of the drunken Dallas podcast and believe it or not i'm all alone today our pal daniele bolelli is back in italy his homeland uh letting his daughter get a good taste of the fact that uh some cultures don't think you have to work every damn day of your life the uh, europeans seem to have something figured out guys and that is summertime is meant to have a little break like a six week break and just relax and maybe enjoy your family and forget about work not that work isn't a good thing to have but it's not something we have to do every day of our lives forever till we drop dead anyway alone i sit but today we have an, a great interview with uh, miss cara santa maria that we recorded a few weeks back um and we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes first let's fly through these um datsu sarah our friends of the awesome hemp gear and bags. I have enjoyed my Dr. gear bag for oh, at least 18 months now, and it is sturdy and it's awesome. And as we all know, covered with micro ninjas to protect them. Uh, so hemp doesn't get funky in the gym and places like that. It seems to be a bit mold resistant, unlike some other fibers. So definitely check it out. Grab one. Sure design t-shirts. I just put an order in for a clutch of the cool new hemptastic uh, cannabis strain shirts you got to check them out sure design t-shirts will lead you there check them out order a few our friend bennett would certainly appreciate it and as we all know happy nipples make a happy world so get out there and check them out and grab a few on it our friends at on it let me tell you the alpha brain i've been uh i'd like it for late nights when you really got to get something done and maybe get a little sleepy um it seems to give you that little boost that you need and kind of a creative charge when it's going to be an all-nighter um that's what i like it for other folks think it gives them great crazy dreams so anything you know be careful anything in moderation be sure to follow the directions but if you want to try some out be sure to go to onit.com o n n i t and get yourself something special as always in the episode notes we'll have some nice discounts for you on all these things and finally before we get started because we're going to get right to it i want to thank everybody for well we broke over ten thousand we have ten thousand five hundred dollars in loans from you our awesome audience uh at kiva.org so 
hundreds of people, I think it's like 340 loans or some incredible number have been handed out from you kind folks who really get nothing back other than the good feeling of knowing that you've helped somebody out. And of course, when the money gets paid back, you can always just turn around and hand it, send it back out again to help somebody else out. It's a great way to do a little bit to uh, make somebody else's life a little easier. So definitely check it out. Kiva.org, K-I-V-A.org. Let's see if we can't get $25,000 in loans by Christmas. That would be incredible. I mean, when we started this, it seemed like 10000 was an impossible number. We've roared past it. So get in, get involved, tell your friends. You know, you can buy Kiva cards that you can actually hand loans out to friends and let them get a taste of it and get them on board with it. So thanks a million, everybody. It was awesome. Last but not least, don't forget if you have to order something on Amazon, Click through our Amazon lead at thedrunkentows.com because then we get a little taste of that evil corporate blood money that, you know, otherwise would go to some horrific corporation. Amazon is kind enough to whittle a tiny chunk off for us, and that way we can help put the show together. Anyway, that's enough of me. It's me, Bellelli, and Cara Santa Maria on the other side. You can get hold of her at, at Cara Santa Maria at Twitter and actually check out her website to carasantamaria.com. All right, guys, great interview. That's enough of this, and away we go. Today, we have uh, endangered species among us. We have uh, the rare female guest, who is uh, <laughs> Cara Santa Maria. Welcome to the Drunken Taoist. I like the way you say my name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on your name, by the way, I had to train myself, seriously, to repeat it over and over. Because, <laughs> you know, coming from Italy, every word in your name actually means something. Yeah, you, I have an Italian name. Right. And yeah. it's not like, you know, somebody's like, David or Joe. It's like, doesn't mean shit, right? Yeah. So it's like, Cara Santa Maria, when you translate it literally, is like, you know, dear Holy Mary. Uh, and I was like... That's what I, I tell people I all the time. I'm like, up. my name in Italian means dear mother of God. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So for me, where it's actually, you know, it's not like you are, have to translate it in your head. You hear it and it's like, wait, did you just say dear mother yeah. of... It's like, yeah. you're on the floor laughing. And then, so I was like, I'll keep it straight. Cara Santa Maria, Cara Santa Maria. <laughs> it's a pretty good follow-up, though, because our first female guest was Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon. So it's a oh, pretty cool, oh, cool. Uh, yet rare yeah. person. And how, how many do you, like, what is your percentage, do you of, think? Uh, of ladies like, to la- Yeah, what's your ratio? One female? out of 24. Yeah, it's wow. painful. Yeah, it's yeah. painful. Yeah. stuff. We have had, in fact, an ongoing discussion with our listeners because one of the things that we notice is also percentage-wise, listeners tend to be a lot more male than Sure, even female. with my podcast, right. for example. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had actually some of the, we make up in qualities because the responses that we got from some of the ladies were brilliant. They were like freaking awesome. I mm-hmm. love reading them and they were, but the question that I guess I'll turn to you in that regard is why do you think, hey, why do you think there are so few female podcasters of which, as we're going to bring up, you are now one mm-hmm. since you started your own. Um, so few even female listeners compared to how many men listen. What yeah. do you think? What do you think is about? Well, I, I I'm not sure specifically about podcasting in general, but I can maybe speak a little bit more to the types of podcasts that are available. So as a platform, I think it is a bit odd. Mm-hmm. You know, why wouldn't more 
females listen to podcasts. I mean, women watch TV, women look at right. video. Like, there's no real significant difference there. But for me, for example, my podcast is a science podcast mm-hmm. for the most part. And um, it that's an unfortunate, much bigger issue. I mean, Google used to do this thing. It, was, it wasn't called Google Analytics. It was called, like, Google Insights or something like that, where you could... Um, where, you know, like Google knows all and it traces Mm -hmm. your every move on the internet and you could pop in and it would tell you based on your internet search history and blah, 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 like what they think your demographic is. And I always came up as like a 65-year-old man (laughs) (laughs) because I was a science journalist. At the time, I was, all of my research was science and there's this really bad kind of bias towards uh, older male demographic in the sciences. Like, I don't have to work to get a 45 to 65 year old male following because there's a fundamental interest in the content when Uh I do science. I have to work harder to make my podcast very female friendly. And it it sounds weird because I'm female, like everything I say is female friendly, but there is a shift there. You know, it's the same thing in TV. I work in TV a lot and you look at specific demographics, Discovery, Nat Geo, Mm -hmm. those channels, it's like predominantly middle-aged men that watch them. Why is that? Why is that? I think it's, I don't think it has anything to do with women being disinterested in the content. I think it's a legacy thing. I Mm. think it's because historically, they're putting the men on the channel. They're right. having the men are the ones actually talking about the content. And when things don't feel diverse, it's going to be less interesting to a diverse audience. Right. And so I think that being able to talk about science, being able to um, you know show ex- experimental science or talk about the philosophy of science and have a female perspective in there is just automatically going to bring in more women. And I've been excited to see how many uh, females. And I've noticed it a little bit through comments since I started mm-hmm. my podcast. I sell a little bit of merchandise on my website and I've been excited to see uh, like female sizes right. being sold, you know, women wanting to support. So that, that's been actually really cool. But in terms of podcasts in general, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a technology, you know, adoption thing. I think that we oftentimes see that too. You look at the big tech conferences. I don't know if you're watching Silicon Valley on HBO, but that's a big through line in the show. It's a joke. You know, there's, it's all men. Hmm. It's all men. You know, there's men at the tech conferences. Men are the beta testers of Google Glass and of all the new apps and stuff, the hmm. gadgets. It's just, it's a very, it's a boys club still. I think they're totally women who are way into it, right? but they're not the norm. And I guess the, because I mean, I get it when you're talking about a profession in a strict sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see the historical reasons and all yeah. of that. But something like freaking podcasting is like, you know, press, download. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it, it's not, there's no barrier of any kind. You no, know? not no... at all. I think it must be content, you know, because I bet you if we actually looked at more female friendly uh, podcasts, like podcasts that have traditionally uh, female um, tones mm-hmm. or themes that you probably would see much higher listenership numbers. But as a whole, it's hard to say. You know, I can look at my demographics. Sure. You can look at your demographics. But iTunes isn't going to tell us overall we no. have this many listeners that are male versus female. iTunes is very protective of their demographics. Yeah, they are. We all, yeah, of, of, of any statistics. <laughs> we have to use third-party programs like like we were just talking about SoundCloud or Libsyn or right. something to be able Blueberry. to get our yeah yeah to be able to get our information iTunes doesn't tell us shit so um, 
it's it's hard to say. Maybe there, are, maybe it is 50-50 and we have no idea. Well, we both have daughters, so we think you're awesome because Aww. we love to hear girls talk science because it is something that really has lacked. Once again, you know, it's funny how we kind of attack something and then it just falls away. Yeah. And the girls' numbers are down again and it's ridiculous. It's Because tough. I think the ladies are the great hope. Anyway, who's winning the World Cup soccer? For America, it's it's not the boys. Yeah, that's so true. You know, when when the ladies get focused, shit happens. Well, and the thing too about I think females in the sciences is that there's a like you you just said you both have daughters. There's an age where I think culture really m- makes it or breaks it for women. So. There is no significant difference when kids are young and their interest levels in science. Right. Like boys and girls are exactly loves balanced. Rockets and right. Exactly. There's absolutely no difference. And then there's a certain point kind of in middle school. That's yep. really where it seems to be the, the, the point where specific girls will continue on and really be focused. And oftentimes these are the girls with a lot of fortitude who aren't afraid to be called a nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girls who, um, you know, already are showing kind of... Uh, advances and and are making the really good grades and kind of have cast themselves in that light already. And I love that we're seeing a cultural shift where being a nerd is something that you can be proud of and Mm -hmm. and that is very cool, not just like a thing where you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm good at this and I'm never going to be cool, so I guess I'll keep going as a nerd. It's like, no, I'm a fucking nerd, and it's awesome. It is awesome. And other people are nerds, too, and we get to do this together. But that's where you see that shift. So you've got all these really talented, really brilliant young women who are feel like they have to make a choice. Like, either I have a social life and the boys like me, and I have um, options as I get older in, in many different fields, or I go this academic, nerdy route, and I'm, I'm committing social suicide like that's insane that 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 is the choice that society's put on young women no you're right and i mean part of this is it's bullshit all around for men and women even more so for women mm-hmm. but what you just described this scenario where you have to make choices about am i going to fit in this box or am i going to fit in this box and the idea being you can only be one thing yeah you can only be the nerd who knows everything about everything but you look like you never saw the light of the sun again and you, they <laughs> yeah. locked you in the library 40 years ago or you can be the super cool athlete who has no two thoughts going up in their brain and it's like who the fuck said that you can be only one thing? I know. And that's a huge problem, I think, for for young kids, too, especially in this society, is it's so click-heavy. Like, school mm-hmm. is so click-heavy. And, I, I mean, I remember right after, not to get dark, but after the, uh, the Columbine shooting mm-hmm. and seeing Michael Moore's uh, Bowling for Columbine, and there was a great interview in there with Mar- I think it was Marilyn Manson, and he was saying something along the lines of, like, he's saying, what would you tell these kids? And mm-hmm. it's like, just fucking wait, like, another year. Right. Like, once you're out of this shit, when yeah. you're a young kid, there's so much pressure to fit in with, like you said, these very specific boxes. And as you get older, you realize that those boundaries really break. Who the fuck are you when you start a new job? And who the fuck is that guy who sure. who had this, like, social hierarchy in school? Everybody starts from scratch. Yeah. It's it's more about person-to-person connections. It's way less about appearances. And it's it's just fucking sad that, like, you almost can't help but get caught up when it, with in it when you're young because that's the world you know. And right. it's so hard to see beyond your bubble. And even though... Even when you're not young, even a lot of jobs, they tend to, not formally, but in an informal level, enforce this code of how you're supposed to be. If you are a college professor, it means you do this and this, and you clearly cannot do those things because those are not professor-like. So true. If you are a journalist, it's like there's this code of conduct that's 
complete bullshit. It's total bullshit. And that's something we struggle with all the time in science uh, communication and science journalism. So I did an undergrad and a master, started a PhD, left my PhD, didn't finish it in order to kind of pursue SciComm. A lot of my friends in the field either are trained as journalists or they have PhDs, you know, in, in specific fields. And they struggle with that kind of like, how am I supposed to act? I'm, you know, I'm covered in tattoos right. and piercings and I just want to be myself and mm -hmm. write my blog and talk about cool shit in science. But that's I'm why freelancing is so nice. Yeah. I know. And that's, yeah. that's it's, the route that most of us have actually chosen. You have to. There's no choice at this point. You can either work for a corporation that's going to steal your ideas and fuck you over. Oh, so true. Or you can be your own person and struggle and fight. I mean, I know as much people like to cuss about Obamacare, the freedom that that's going to give to so many people mm -hmm. that are stuck in their fucking jobs because of insurance. It's going to open the gateway, and I think we really are going to have a boost to these small businesses. So true. What a fucked up country we live in, oh. that, that there are people who have, uh, you know, really beautiful creative ideas who could be free and choose paths that really work for them, but they're literally stuck in a job because they can't afford the 500 extra dollars a month or the 1,000 extra dollars a month that their employer's paying into their insurance because they're sick. Yeah. You're, right. it's, it's, it's so unfair. Well, the people on top scooping billions of exactly. dollars. From, so, you know, and that's not The fact that change. you could affect somebody's bottom line by 5% and change everybody's life in the whole country. Yeah. It seems like, right. why wouldn't you do that in the morning? And I know everybody's like, well, once you get your 1% together, it'll be a different story, mister. But I don't think so. Right. Yeah. I think until we become a planet that is for everyone else, we're fucked anyway. Right. We're never going to fix the climate. We're never going to do anything that's good for the ocean. As long as the guy at, you know, Fucko Incorporated right. gets to destroy anything he wants to to make his extra billion dollars. Oh, I think that's definitely true. I mean, I'm very much a, a supporter of the idea that kind of we're only as strong as the weakest among us. Yes. And I think it's really important to always keep that in mind. But with kind of this corporate structure that we have in this country, which is actually really dependent on corporate welfare, with it, which is Isn't a whole other really terrible conversation. <sighs> what ends up happening is that people are, when you're dependent, when you're fundamentally dependent on somebody who has more wealth than you, you don't have any mobility and you don't have any pride and you don't have any ability to do what is in your best interest because you're under somebody's Shoe and so Obama, and that's not the America that was sold to me no, as a child no. in any way. It was we'll raise our barns together yeah. and we'll be there for each other, and then it's socialism. What police departments and fire departments? What are you all thinking? Exactly, it's so madness. It's it is madness. So you're right. I think Obamacare is going to free up a lot of people. It's already freed up a lot of people. I I use it. You yeah, know, I'm yeah, a freelancer. Right I have it, it, of course, immediately. But it is still. A blowjob to the internet. Oh, company. don't it's, tell. Oh, you know what God. I mean? It's, a friend of mine's an acting teacher in town. He's like, he wishes Hollywood would command that everyone that comes to Hollywood to be an actor has to take acting classes. Because uh -huh. it would be the same sort of thing. Yeah. Sign them up, boys. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. He would make so much money. But it was an incremental step forward. Oh, it was. I'm, I mean, and I, there aren't many of those. No. I think that healthcare reform at all, uh, so long as it's reform, so long as it's progressive reform, it's not deforming healthcare, but yeah. reform at all is a good step forward because the, the truth is, <clears throat> until people understand what it's like to have their civil rights, sometimes they don't notice when they're lacking. I mean, there are obviously blatant civil, right vi civil rights violations that are obvious to people. But for example, if you look at Saudi Arabia and mm -hmm. you look at uh, the way that women are oppressed in this very patriarchal kind sure. of theocracy, 
there are women who are fighting for their rights every day who are like, I know that this is not the life I mm-hmm. was born to lead. But there are plenty of women, too, who are like, this is just the way it's always sure. been. Of course. And because they've never had it, they've never had the ability to make their own decisions in that way. They've never had those freedoms. If those freedoms were given to all of the women in Saudi Arabia and they could walk around on the street without their faces covered and they wouldn't need male chaperones when they leave their houses... You think you could take that back later? No, no fucking way. Well, that's what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Well, you know, with Malia yeah. and that insanity. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, they don't want them to learn. They want to keep them stupid. Yeah. And that's the thing that we're saying about these boxes that exist yeah. on a cultural level, not by law, but on a cultural level when your whole universe around you is asking you to be one thing, to specialize, to fit that profile, to which ultimately squashes your individuality, squashes what makes you unique and human. That's why, you know, you can't be the PhD with piercing and tattoos everywhere who write about. It's like you have to be, and even about gender roles, the thing where we started yeah. from, you know, the whole idea of what it means to be manly mm-hmm. or feminine. And all of, it's just such, the fact that people grow up with it and never question it is why it's perpetuated. Yeah. And yeah, when you free yourself from that, you're like, why in the universe would I want to jump back in that box? Now, I had an experience yesterday that, um, okay, I may be slightly more in touch with my feminine side that you would be wise for a straight man to acknowledge. <laughs> like, I swear, in this man. country, at least. Yeah. This is going to get yeah. good. <laughs> no, I swear, man. I think I have periods on a regular basis. It's like yesterday, at one point, I was listening to me. This Jerry Garcia song came up. I hadn't listened to it in like 15 years, probably. Was and, it Broke uh, Down Palace? Because no, it was, me every um, time. <laughs> it's called Two Soldiers. It's uh, instrumental that he does with David Grisham. And he was just nice. started crying like a baby. Then promptly the same night, I started watching The Princess Bride for the 57th time. <laughs> And I kid you not, it's the fucking Princess Bride. I cried the whole time, discreetly, trying not to show it. But I'm like, this is so beautiful, you know? And I'm like, and to me, the whole notion that you're not supposed to feel that way if you're a man, and if you're a woman, you're supposed to only be about that, and you can never be tough or something. It's like, what the hell? I know. We see it all the time in, like, corporate culture. I mean, and and I'm, I'm happy that it's in the news more and that people are actually talking about it. You get stuck in this box as... A woman, like when I'm working in television shows, for example, uh, a lot of times, you know, if I'm hosting a show, I'm, I have a producer credit on the show. I'm in a semi position of authority, and what you end up doing is, you know, you work hard, and you, if you're too nice, then you don't have a backbone. Yep. If you're too harsh, then you're a bitch. Yep. It's like it's you can't ever win a yep. lot of times as a woman because no matter what you do, you're going to be labeled as having some sort of womanly trait that made you do that. Whereas the equal and opposite uh, uh, action of a man is uh, profoundly kind of uh, praised. Right. It's insane. Like John Stewart, I think it was John Stewart, or maybe it was Colbert. Uh, just within the last week, I think did a really good piece about that where he was showing. Because everybody was talking about how Hillary Clinton, you know, it, she's been a huge target. Like, did did her daughter get pregnant just so that it oh, would God. give her more uh, sympathy when she runs? Or what about that time when she cried in in that meeting? And and that's her hormones. Well, getting Kevin Durant cried when he got his NBA the, or the M, uh, Most Valuable Player Award for the NBA oh, yeah, the other day. Boehner yeah. cries like every off- five oh, minutes. God, that's not even you know, down. it's like so crazy. And so th- that and that's exactly what they did. They showed all these clips of other politicians yeah. doing the same thing. And then the Fox News response. <laughs> which was like, well, that shows strength. Oh, what a great leader. And it's like, what the f- Right. 
Yeah. It's just crazy. No, and in fact, it is because ultimately the whole boxes game, it sucks for everybody, but mm-hmm. it sucks 10 times worse for women because well, the sucks- kind of choices for yeah. available to women are more restricted. It sucks 10 times worse for anybody who historically has had a harder shake. I mean, mm-hmm. it sucks 10 times worse. I'd say maybe even 50 times worse for the African-American community sure. because it's like no matter what you do, right? Yeah. If you are if you grow up in the inner city and then you end up being academically inclined and, and highly successful – uh, a lot of times your own backyard culture turns on you because you're a pussy, because you're whatever. And if you're you actually, yeah, you're whitewashed, whatever. If you actually quote unquote fall victim to doing what everybody around you has ever done, then all of a sudden you're like a hooligan or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's it just sucks. It's like there's a fucking reason yep. that a quarter, you have a fucking 25% chance. Like if one in four teenage black men in this country will go to prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is fucking insane. That has absolutely nothing to do with being black. It has every. There's nothing. There's nothing fundamental about blackness that you, means that you're more likely to go to prison. You mean it's not in the DNA or something? There's no DNA. prison DNA right there. Right. It's exactly. Like, oh, it's, what, it's, what piece? It of, couldn't possibly have anything to do with the fact that we have for-profit prisons that will exactly. fine cities, towns, and, and municipalities if we don't have enough people in prison. Yes, and it couldn't. It couldn't have anything to do with all of the legislation supporting that because sure. of all of the fucking oh, uh, drug laws. Yeah, I mean, oh. it's it's just crazy. Like like, and if you didn't know this, you probably already do. But just look at the history of crack versus cocaine. Yeah. It's the same fucking drug. Mm-hmm. It is the same drug, Madness. and crack has like carries sometimes eighteen times higher uh, penalties than yeah. cocaine. Of course, because cocaine is a white businessman's drug, yeah. and crack is a black street person drug. Of course, and it's so fucked up because the truth of the matter is, all that does is exacerbate the problem that's already there. Mm-hmm. It just continues to drive a big rift. I mean, who can actually afford to pay their fines? Who would actually probably benefit most? From from going to prison, right. I'd say you're fucking yuppie white asshole. You know who is not going to actually gain anything about getting stuck in the system except continuing to live the life cycle that I thought we were trying to prevent through rehabilitation. I saw one piece of news today that blew my mind. I saw this one guy who got sentenced to 98 years for armed robbery, which I mean, armed robbery is serious, but Jesus Christ, 98, 98 years is a bit. You usually you have to kill multiple people for yeah. that. And uh, they freed him after eight years by mistake. Mm-hmm. He was out for, I think, six years, eight years, something like that. And then they realized and they're like, okay, you need to go back. Except that in those six to eight years, he was model citizen, had a kid, uh, you know, completely rehabilitated. Yeah. You know, was a different guy from when he went in. But he's like, well, tough shit. Instead, we're going to spend $40,000 a year to keep you in prison where you clearly don't fit anymore. Yeah, where there's no reason. Like, you've uh, been rehabilitated. Because that's the thing. We, in this culture, have, like, a Hammurabi code. Like, we're so like draconian that prison for us is not about learning and getting better right. prison revenge. for us is revenge yeah yeah it is i mean that's what night i that's can't what, wait till they rape him yeah right. i mean that's it's what going crazy. into uh that's what going into iraq was that's what that's how we operate it's i mean i remember really struggling after 9 11 with like what should we do as a nation like obviously i you know because i'm very anti-war but 
at the same time, I'm not like a fucking hippie. I'm not going to sit around being like, oh, if I'll just sit with my hands, you know, behind my back and sure. somebody can beat the shit out of me and I'll just take it. So it's like, what do you do? It's a really fine line. And I remember really, and I was also like a kid. I was in college at the time right. uh, when when 9-11 happened. I think I was a sophomore in college. And so, you know, I struggled with that a lot. And I remember thinking to myself and somehow convincing myself, well, if the purpose of this is to prevent these individuals, to prevent this group of people from continuing to, you know, you know. Hating us for our freedom. Yeah. Well, and not just that, but like on a world platform, you know, because when we think of uh, the Taliban or we sure. think of Al Qaeda or whoever the fuck we thought it was at the time, right, in whatever the fuck country Bush convinced us it was, um, we do think of them as being like these really semi-sophisticated terror organizations. And so, yes, there was this kind of mental convincing in my mind of, oh, we're going there to prevent these people from harming others. <sighs> That's not why we went. Right, I, I thought mean, we were getting five cent gas. Right. Exactly. And, and, and Which still would have been nice if we'd actually got anything out of it at all other than $4 trillion further in debt, you know, 50,000 wildly fucked up guys that are going to be walking the streets for the next 40, 50, 60 years. And not just that, like we made so many Enemies. more recruits. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we were a recruitment program for Al Qaeda. Of course. We so many more people are now interested in seeking retaliation because of the fucking drone strikes. Right. I mean, it's just insane. Well, the wildness of going to Iraq at all. Richard Clark. We did. A, I did a documentary with Richard Clark talking about that evening. They had maps of Iraq on the table in the ready room of the White House yeah. before Bush had even gotten there. Yeah. And he's like, guys, if we're going to do that, we might as well just invade Mexico and clean that shit up that's in our backyard because it's actually going to benefit us in some way. And it's equally as connected. And more people speak <laughs> yeah. Spanish. You know? Exactly. Yeah. No, like, right. Grandma rolled into Iraq with like nobody that spoke Farsi. Can you imagine? Yeah. I'm here yeah. to rebuild your country with my nine friends and none of us speak the right. language. That's crazy. Awesome. No, I mean, crazy. And one of the things is the <laughs> about the whole revenge thing. To me, is like if you're gonna go for it then you're you go for it meaning you it's not because you grab somebody who became a model citizen to put him back in jail because of why what the fuck is the reason there's no it's a stupid revenge there yeah. because it doesn't even achieve anything to me it's like if you're saying that somebody is completely beyond rehabilitation and is like these evil fucked up human beings so in that case just pull the trigger and be done with it but if you're not gonna pull the trigger and be done with it then what you're doing is not going to help anybody because you're not rehabilitating the person. You're wasting a bunch of money. You're not get you're not getting it done. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. I mean, I I guess I I get that in theory. I personally am completely against the death penalty no, for you know for but, so many reasons. But the problem for me is mm -hmm. I am too because of the state because I don't trust that the state is going to pick uh, that there's go that actually the right person yeah. got to be in that spot sure. there's too many there's too many mistakes that are made exactly yeah. if he wasn't like one for in 25 that, right yeah, it's crazy. insane and it's also like there's no financial benefit there's like right. across the board it's it, it's yeah. not a deterrent like there's just right. no reason for it so and there are I mean we all have to admit like we've got to be honest there are people out there that no no measure of rehabilitation yeah. is going to help and which is why the which is why we do have have the death penalty in many cases but in, in states where we don't have the death penalty that's why we have things like life without parole right you know it's like if you murdered multiple mm -hmm. people i'm not going to try and rehab I mean, sure i mean the hope is that there is still rehabilitation that's happening in prison but you're not going to be re-released right, right, if right. you're if you're a murderer hopefully yeah. i mean a lot of times they are oh, yeah. and that's the crazy thing justice in this country is not fucking blind no. at all there's so much bias in the justice system there's so much and and uh, 
<laughs> I'm like getting all worked I know. Up. <laughs> it's hard not to. I mean, it really feels like it's almost too late. I mean, it is yeah. getting to be 1130 in this country. Yeah, it's and, frustrating. I mean, like, if the next Congress doesn't come around, I'm all for a write-in revolution. I think everybody should get their damn uh, local ordinances out and see mm-hmm. what it takes to get a write-in candidate ready. Mm-hmm. Because with the power of the internet, you could... Reseat the whole fucking Congress. Yeah. Because most of these guys are in there with 85,000 votes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy how easy it is. The number one predictor of whether or not you'll be reelected is that you've already been elected. Yeah. Like, it's so crazy that... Because... People don't inform themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like the general election is the only election where people even know the names of the people on the ballot. The midterms, most people skip. And if you do vote in the midterms, I mean, it's but it's it's actually not that hard. Like you can inform yourself without spending half a day and then missing work. All you have to do is think about what your values are. Think about how you align yourself politically, the types of candidates, let's say presidential candidates that you felt the closest to, the the most aligned with, and find a voting guide that's put out by an organization. If you're progressive, look up progressive voting guides. If you're conservative, look up conservative voting guides. They will give you the names online. There are whole organizations that work hard to do that kind of work for you that says, okay, this guy is running for this district for this seat, and this is his track record by human rights. This is his track record by the NRA. This is, you know, and so, oh, okay, that person is more aligned with my values. I can vote for them. Like, it's not right. that fucking hard to inform yourself and to be part of, honestly, what I think should be fucking required to yeah. be able to, you know, you, you have to pay taxes. It's against the fucking law not to pay your taxes, to give back to the country that you're able to take from. You should also have to fucking vote. I feel very strongly that voting should be a required activity for everybody who's qualified to do so. Right. One of the problems, though, is that it's in a system that's entirely rigged from the beginning in terms of in a system in which whoever wins depends on corporate money and those favor to lots of people but by the, the reason time you get in office. the reason for that is because corporate money can buy votes and the way Precisely. that corporate money can buy votes is by pumping a shitload into campaign finance Precisely, yeah. but if everybody had to vote Every single person, it wouldn't just be the people who are watching the political attack mm-hmm. ads on TV. It wouldn't just be the people who were um, influenced by that kind of money. It would be a lot of people who are ideologically voting or it would be people who are voting party lines because they don't right. care to to do their due diligence and to do their research. And I think that if we had a much higher voter turnout, the money that we see in politics would be less effective. It would be terrifying, though, because we live in a country where 40% of the people don't even buy into climate change, you know? That's true. Where 40% of the people think their Bible's way more true than any science book. I mean, you went to North Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went to Middle Tennessee State. We used to play on football all the time. Oh, funny. Anyway, um, (laughs) what was it like in Texas trying to teach or learn science? I'm surprised you guys even had a fucking book left down there. Oh, it's pretty crazy. So, So I, okay, like in some respects, I was a little bit lucky. I went to, um, I, I grew up in Plano, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, and it's it's conservative. I mean, I was in the Bible Belt for sure, but I also was lucky enough to be in a very um, uh, kind of, not, not a progressive program, but a gifted and talented program where I was lucky enough to test into this program and be just surrounded by really smart people. And a lot of times when you're surrounded by really, really smart people, you and to also see some progressive values sneaking their way in. And so I learned science. Um, probably I had the best opportunity 
of most people in the South. Granted, I probably didn't learn evolution the way I was supposed to, but at least I was aware of what evolution was when I got out of um, middle school and high school. Now, when I moved into college, so I went to North Texas. I did an undergrad in psychology and philosophy. I did my master's in neurobiology. During that time, I taught, and I taught freshman bio, which is a course where you teach all of this stuff. And, um, you know, I saw some pushback, but I was a pretty progressive and kind of outspoken teacher, and I would, you know, get the kids excited. And for the most part, it was like, well, fuck you, you're in college. Like, you have to learn this stuff. The funny thing is, when I moved to New York to start my PhD, I also taught in New York, and I was like, oh, finally, I'm moving to a progressive area, I can teach evolution. Blue <laughs> yeah, blue state, I can teach evolution without getting a lot of pushback. So I taught at Queens College at the City University of New York, which is in Flushing, Queens, and it has a huge orthodox population. I got more pushback on evolution from the Jewish population in New York than I got from the Christian population in Texas, and I did not expect that. Granted, I grew up in Texas, and I had like, I knew like two Jews, like I had two Jewish friends. Right. I went, I, I'm like a weirdo because I went to a bar mitzvah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I didn't know any other kids who like were invited to a bar mitzvah. I knew nothing about Judaism except that my friends had names like Stein and Diamond. Right. Um, but I didn't really know. I mean, I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about it. Um, I definitely didn't understand that culturally. We had no, there was no orthodoxy in the South at all. Like my friends wore yarmulkes only in temple. Right. And they only went on high holidays. So when I got to New York and moved into my apartment in Forest Hills and looked across the street at a Jewish center on, I think it was Yom Kippur, and saw saw a rabbi with a chicken in his hand yeah, and a Torah awesome in the other hats, hand. I'm and sure. like, I was like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah. I like watched a guy sacrifice a chicken out of my wit. I was like, what is this? Country right. in the city. Yeah. And then I started realizing like how there's fundamentalism in all religions. Sure. And, you know, like... Jews, fundamental Jews are just as crazy as fundamental Christians, are just as crazy as fundamentalist Muslims. Absolutely. And, and just as crazy as fundamentalist fucking anything. Sure. And uh, yeah, so I learned that very quickly that uh, my Orthodox students were not fans of evolution. Also, not allowed to touch them. Oh, that yeah. was an of interesting course. thing of I course. learned. Yep. Had no idea. Nobody had warned me of that. And yep. so I, I taught lab. When yep. you're teaching how to use a microscope... Be careful getting over the shoulder. Exactly. Right. Like you usually show people you might have to like yeah. turn a knob and help them, you know, whatever, lean them in. Can't do that. Right. It was so strange. Now I know why I got thrown out of that falafel place <laughs> on Melrose. It makes a lot more sense you all can, of a sudden. You can touch all of the Jewish men you want. I can't. Oh. No, well, that's, that's not unless I want to marry awesome them. Yeah, yeah. Just your dream. You had a Be question. To... I, I saw it forming in your head. I'm gonna go back to it later because right now we're going a different route okay. now with this. But no, I'm gonna ask you then again about the whole political thing and now voting because I didn't get that the voting more people who change oh, sure. the dynamics yeah. of. But the um, as far as the whole religious side, the. Um, Despite, yeah, your Cara Santa Maria, despite the name. People always ask me, they're like, how do you feel having, like, the most religious name of all time? I'm like, I didn't pick my name. Yeah. (laughs) um, How did you grow up in that regard? Uh, So, oh, I grew up Mormon. Really? Yeah. You grew up Mormon? I grew up Mormon. How are your 17 sister moms? Right? No, I didn't grow up FLDS. We grew up LDS. So very much like if you watched Big Love, for reference, if you watched Big Love on um, HBO back in the day, not Bill Paxton's family, but all the families on the streets around Bill Paxton. That's how I grew up. Um, so, not and not in the compound. Once he was living in the normal, like, uh, you know, Salt Lake. So, I, um, I'm... 
my folks were Catholic when they were growing up. My mother's Puerto Rican. She right. was um, born in New York, but raised in Puerto Rico, like completely Puerto Rican. My father is, I think, second generation Italian. That's where the name comes from. They met, um, I think, in California, actually, but ultimately moved to Texas. My dad was from Texas. My mom's from uh, from New England, New York, and then mm-hmm. Cleveland. She, um, so, so they were both Catholic because, of course, they were Puerto Rican and Italian, and fucking all Puerto Ricans and Italians are Catholic. Um, <laughs> And they converted to Mormonism together before they had us, like probably while they were dating or soon right. after they got married. And so my my biological sister and I, I have lots of siblings, but most of them are adopted and kind of pieced together like half brothers and stepsisters and stuff. My biological sister and I were raised by my mother and my father before they got divorced, um, Mormon. And then my parents got divorced probably when I was like, God, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And my mom sort of stopped attending and kind of, you know, my mom I think of as more of like a secular humanist. It's not really her vibe. Um, But my dad was still very Mormon, remarried another Mormon woman with her Mormon kids. And they still, my sister's still Mormon. Like all of my siblings except for one of my uh, stepsisters left the church. Uh, Or sorry, one of my stepsisters left the church. All the rest are still Mormon. Um, I left the church when I was 14, which was a really tough decision. and in many ways kind of broke my family up a little bit like my uh, my dad and I didn't talk for many years it was a tough decision to make as um, a minor what made you different in that regard from all your siblings I don't like know. why I you mean, probably the same thing that made me study science and the same thing that made me go into this field you they're know, just weird like, okay uh, yeah <laughs> or a built-in bullshit meter that yeah, just can't stand I think it's really just put things there like, oh, it'll be fine it's my, my bullshit detector was probably stronger even before I was kind of academically trained to have one because a lot of people People ask me what came first, science or or atheism. But for me, atheism came long before science. I was not one of those kids. You know, I was one of the kids that you're probably worried about your daughters being. Like, I in middle school, very much, okay, that's nerdy, that's not me. I still did all the gifted and talented stuff, but I was also a cheerleader in high school. Like, mm-hmm. I tried to figure out how to maintain both sides. That's cool. Yeah, I was, you know, I was in jazz choir. I, I started college to study vocal jazz performance. Sure. That's why I went to North Texas. It's a big music, arts and music school. Yeah. I... My undergrad was psychology and philosophy because I thought it would be easy. Like, Mm -hmm. that's literally why I picked that major. And not until I really got into psychology and understood, okay, the brain is fascinating. I want to learn more about the brain. Went back for a master's degree. Not until that period of my life, maybe as a sophomore, maybe a junior in college, did I really even Mm -hmm. start to appreciate science because I was afraid of it before. I didn't take physics in in high school. I took a low-level chemistry class. Like, I remember I was an international baccalaureate student, which is like a, it's kind of like AP, but for all your classes, like, it sucks. It's really hard. And it's, like, advanced. You have to take all these tests. But the the idea is, if you graduate IB, you, like, clep out of two years of college. You're, like, a very advanced student. I ended up not doing that because I left high school a year early. And I, like, semi-dropped out, but they allowed me to go to college instead and get dual credit, which is why I was young when I graduated. So I ended up not finishing IB, but I put a lot of effort into IB for that first year. And you're allowed something like three classes over your IB career that are regular level classes, Mm -hmm. like not advanced level classes. And I was like, okay, chemistry. I like picked all my sciences because I was like, science is hard. I'm not good at that. Like I just didn't have any faith in myself that it would be interesting, that I would be able to pass. I was afraid of science. And so I didn't find it until I was much, much older. But I found atheism at like 14. There's maybe one 
part of my life, like late high school, where I had a really Christian best friend and she pushed me a lot and I tried to be like, oh, maybe I believe again. But I mean, that lasted maybe like six months. And the whole time I was like, this is bullshit. Right. So On the on the atheism thing, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I notice sometimes, especially when talking about religion, but not only actually, in a bunch of different topics, sometimes people use certain words and, you know, we use the word like we all think we have a common meaning yes. and we really don't. That's and we're such a talking good point. about completely different things, whether the word God, atheist, things that the definition changes quite a bit. That actually came up in my last episode. I interviewed Josh Zepps, who's a host at um, HuffPost Live, and he's also one of the hosts of the Point of Inquiry podcast for Mm -hmm. the Center for Inquiry. And there was all these responses, not all these responses, like one guy, one cognitive scientist at Berkeley was responding on Twitter. Hi, I don't remember your name, but thank you for your responses. <laughs> um, he was responding on on Twitter and saying, oh, this is a really good example of an accidental definition of igtheism, mm-hmm. which I had never even f- studied. Right. So I looked it up and like, or ign- agnosticism, igtheism, which is this concept that like, we have to define right. God. Mm-hmm. We have to define what our belief structure is in order for us to talk about it because we live in this culture where God literally means the dude who's also Jesus, who's also the Holy Ghost, and he's got the beard and right. he lives in space. And uh, Yeah, that's and Santa, right? It's exactly. like if we're talking like, about that God, yeah, I understand yeah, what we're saying. Because right? it's something it's, like I mean, I I don't know the numbers, but the the Judeo Christian viewpoint is mm-hmm. so predominant in sure. this country that you know, and we as atheists a lot of times say things like, You're an atheist too, I just went one God further. Like right. you're atheistic about all the other historical right, right, gods right, right. that anybody has ever mentioned. You just gotta look out for the fundamentalist atheists because they're strapping on suicide vests as well, because they get crazy. Well, we talked a little bit uh I We've been talking a little bit lately. I don't know any atheists that have strapped on suicide vests. No. But, <laughs> but about this idea of the new atheist movement. Mm-hmm. So the kind of uh, Dawkins, uh, Harris, Hitchens, sure. that group, and also individuals who adopted. And, of course, I very much respect all of these brilliant thinkers. I learn a lot reading mm-hmm. their books. I take a slightly different tack lately, but I think I was very much a militant new atheist early on um, in in the media, and then I very quickly realized that you don't you don't help anybody, you don't reach it. That's my problem. It's not so much that it like pisses me off when somebody's kind of a quote unquote fundamental. I I don't know if I like the term fundamentalist atheist because I atheism is like a lack of belief or anything. So, but. What who who are you helping by making other people around you feel like they're stupid right. and like you're smarter than them? Sure, Nobody's yeah. gonna listen to you of after course. that. So I don't. For me, it's like that's not the tack I want to take because I want to engage. That I'm interested in engaging. I do know that there are certain people that no matter what I do or what I say, they're not interested in engaging, and so that I can kind of you know wash my hands. Of right. If I want. Dug in is dug in. Yeah, but I've reached. I mean, I've 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 had great conversations with a lot of people who, as I think you're you're pointing out and getting to, have more nuanced mm-hmm. religious or spiritual views. Of course. I'm kind of a pretty traditional atheist right. in a sense. Like I'm, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm a I'm something of a materialist. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't. I don't. It's very hard for me to wrap my head around the concept of anything being supernatural, metaphysical. You know, beyond kind of evidence-based thought. Or it's not so much that I think that there there's nothing that exists that we don't have evidence for. Like, of course, I know sure. that that's you know, we don't know that much yet. There's fucking dark matter and dark energy right. that we don't understand, but if we can't measure something or if something doesn't exist in the natural world to me it's it's like a it's a moot point if something doesn't have the um 
the structure that allows it to be evidence-based because it's non-natural by definition and science can't reach it, I don't really care. I guess to me the thing is I don't care to – I don't believe anything. Mm -hmm. I find the the idea of belief just plain stupid because it's like you either know it or you don't. You know, what the hell are you believing for? I don't really disbelieve per se. My attitude, I mean, there are certain things that, yes, if you define to me God as sort of this Santa figure in the sky, it's like, okay, sure. any guy who's not five-year-old demented kid can get that, you know, there are reasons why that's made up. But there are a lot of people who don't. No, and I get it. And in fact, when you're talking to that audience, you you have to tweak the, but if we move past that point, Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, they're just so much that we have no fucking idea how the universe works. Totally. And um, and so to me, it's not that if somebody say, well, that weird, crazy thing happened that really doesn't seem to respond to the law of physics, or maybe even shit I experienced, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa, that did not fit with any known parameter right now. Yeah. yeah. I can run with it and start creating this cosmic thing about, oh, that means that it was spirits who did this, who did that. It's like, how the fuck do I know? All I know is that this thing happened and it doesn't fit. And yeah. it, I find it interesting because it keeps me like, hmm, I'll tread carefully about being too sure of my conclusions yeah. about the nature of the universe because I'm reminded periodically that whatever you think you know is a grain of sand compared to what's out there. And at the same time, you only take into account for, as you say, whatever you can use that applicable to your life. Yeah. Uh, one story that I was using, I uh, used it a couple of times. I use my dad because he's so very, kind of moral on your line, super very, you know, very much on the atheist side, very much on the more material cool. God, it would be thing. so cool to be raised by parents like and, that. Uh, yeah, well, and that's you, kind of you'd probably, be, you'd probably be a Mormon. Just a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Backlash, you know? <laughs> but, like, I remember my dad was telling me this story, which for me, you know, when somebody was all, like, who tell you stories, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. When somebody was not trying to sell you something in the regard or a certain worldview, then you take it a little more seriously. Yeah. He was telling me the story of how um, waiting for um, at the bus, at the, at the bus stop, and, um, you know, He's walking, he's standing at one spot and he's waiting, waiting. And all of a sudden he say, I kid you not, I hear this voice in my head telling me, move the fuck out right now. And I'm like, okay, that's just weird and it makes no sense to me. But okay, I take three steps. And, mm-hmm. and like five seconds later, the lamp on top, the street lamp just collapsed right there. And he, you know, somebody could run with it. It's like, you know, he was God, the saving. And he's like, what the fuck do I know? All I know is... I felt something that told mm-hmm. me to move, and I moved. And I said, huh, why do I sleep? You know, it's a weird voice, the shoe that, you know, then you have a lamp on your head. And it's yeah. like, so yeah. to me, it's like, that's honest in the sense that you're not running with it and making shit up more than it's warranted by the situation. And sure. at the same time being like, whoa, something in the universe is strange. Who the yeah. hell knows how it works? And so my, so my response to those types of situations are that instead of kind of throwing my hands up and saying, meh, they'll never understand mm-hmm. this, <laughs> I start to try to investigate and mm-hmm. say, what are some explanations that do fit within the, the cosmic understanding that we have, the right. framework that we have? Maybe sometimes you will be um, kind of stuck. Maybe sometimes, no matter how deep you dig, the the understanding that we have of physics as mm-hmm. it stands right now is is not far-reaching enough. But there are people out there that are a lot fucking smarter than me, that know a lot more than I do. And I don't like to discount the amazing work that we've done in the sciences. I don't like to say like, oh, it's just a grain of sand, and so we are never going to understand. It's like we know a fucking lot. We don't know mm-hmm. everything. 
We know a lot. There's a lot more to know. But we were literally in the dark 100 years ago sure. compared to where we are sure. now. I mean, it's, it's, it's exponential. It's yeah. leaps and bounds. It's Moore's Law. We're, we're, we're very much aware of a lot of things. And I don't. I also don't like to mix up. I think physical phenomena with spiritual phenomena. Like I don't like to make the the error that what the bleep do we know made, which just took a bunch of fucking brilliant physicists and quoted them out of context to make them sound like they think that quantum mechanics can apply to thoughts and and Jesus mm-hmm. or something. Like that's also I think a, a a route that we shouldn't take. So, for example, with that specific story, you know maybe somebody saw that it was falling on the 10th floor and they said, you should probably move. And you kind of heard that voice in your head. Or maybe there was some sort of disturbance. Something didn't feel right. You you heard a crack in the street lamp and it was subconscious, you know, for whatever reason. Or maybe it was something else. But I'm going to keep going to the things that don't require a complete overhaul of every minute scrap of evidence that has been laid into a massive theory mm-hmm. of um, consensus, I'm going to go to those things first. Because generally speaking, when we have um, like scientific revolution, when we have huge paradigm shifts in the sciences, they're very rare. Mm-hmm. And they're almost never so so massive that everything's turned on its ear. I think that that's a, an argument the lo- that a lot of religious types like to use. Like, well, we don't know everything. And so, you know, one time we thought the earth was flat. It's like, well, first of all, nobody really fucking sure. ever thought the earth no. was flat. Like, that's <laughs> bullshit. And um, and, and th- they might have thought that there was kind of like edgy thing, but whatever. Um, and, and, and second of all, so like, yes, we used to think that there was ectoplasm, for example. We used to think that there was sure. ether. But just because we thought that there was ether, it doesn't mean that we thought that the, the brain pumped blood and the toes you know like made you have thoughts it's like we have these little pieces of evidence that are mini paradigm shifts that sometimes oh now a few things that were unanswered really fall into place because this starts to explain a bigger picture and so i don't think that there's going to be like some discovery that shows that there's a parallel universe behind ours full of you know puppet masters i just don't i just don't foresee that happening because it's so outside of the amount of evidence that we actually do have at this point. That being said, I think individuals who have uh, profound, sorry, profound um, uh, spiritual ties to things, profound faith, religious um, intuition, whatever you want to call it, and manage to reconcile that with modern science, mm-hmm. manage to describe and discuss things that happen in some sort of realm right. that's not touched by science because it's supernatural or other than natural, and they can reconcile that. Who the fuck am I to say that they're sure. wrong? Like, right. that's fine. It doesn't work for me. I'm not going to sit here as a scientist and say I need to investigate that because it's it's by definition uninvestigatable. Right. That's not a word, but I made right. it up. It's in 75 years, when we can read gravitational waves better, we'll exactly. find out that when gravitational waves crest out, your capacity to cross through the multiverse to a safer zone uh, is able to... No, uh, that's why, right. to me, it's like... It's not about science versus supernatural. There's nothing super, there, by definition, no, there's nothing that doesn't belong in nature. It's just, 
easy part of a nature that we haven't really figured out yet. Sure, That's all. Yeah. I'm not saying because of course it's Except life is what it is. It's just a matter of figuring out all the pieces. To and it. I like I like what you just said. Life is what it is because I think that's something that's um that's misunderstood a lot of times. I think I touched on it in the last episode of my mm-hmm. podcast again with Josh Zepps, but I, I haven't touched on it that much. And when I started working for so I used to work at the Huffington Post and I was their science correspondent back when their science record was fucking terrible. And I think Ariana in some respects realized that and she said, "I want to make a science page," which at you know at least is a safe haven for like legitimate science. When you're working for an organization that's that big, and this is the thing, I, we used to get a lot of shit. I would say like, okay, we're starting a science page. We're going to have a really good, oh, fucking science at HuffPost is terrible. It's like, so it's, yeah, because we don't have a place for science. So sure. what you're calling science is actually like Jenny McCarthy's bullshit blog <sighs> where she's like an anti-vaxxer and fucking killing little kids. But that's, I mean, you see it at The Guardian too. You see Woo at The Guardian. It's just The Guardian had a longstanding science page and the Woo doesn't show up on those pages. So that's what we were trying to do. That's my little soapbox and I'll get off of it because I don't even fucking work there anymore um but when oh god now i've lost my fucking train of thought when i started working there i was gonna say something about when i started working there we were talking about oh oh one of the first blogs i wrote was about the definition of science Mm -hmm. and how we talk about science and you know i talked about the difference between a theory and a hypothesis and i talked about how you know fucking gravity is just a theory to all that kind of stuff that things that are co-opted and used by anti-science argument but you made this really beautiful point, which is that we need to understand the basic difference between science and nature. Mm-hmm. Nature just is. Life just is. The cosmos just is. The way that things work, the f- the fundamental gears of life, the, the quantum mm-hmm. you know particles, all of that, they just exist whether we are right. here or not, whether we observe it or not. Science is a tool that we use. It's a method. It's a process that we use to either observe these things, to interact with them in such a way that we can better observe them. You know, if I push, does it push back? If I light it on fire, how does it, you know, react? Science is a tool that we use to try and – it's the same thing that a, an artist uses when it, when he paints – the world around him to better appreciate it. It's the same thing that uh, a writer or a builder, anybody who interacts with nature around them to gain a better understanding, that's what science is. It's a process. Science is not the subatomic particles. Of course. And and a lot of people, I think, conflate those two Mm -hmm. things. And as soon as we start to understand that those two things are different, that science is a man-made process Mm -hmm. and it's performed by men and women and we are errant we make mistakes first we have our own fundamental biases and a lot of times when we see these scientific revolutions that occur that all of a sudden we go no way why the fuck didn't we think of most of the time really what it's doing is lifting a veil of bias off of us that information may have already been available or it's because we've advanced technologically in such a way that we now have tools that allow us to see things that we couldn't see before of course smaller things things that are farther away, things that happen faster than we can perceive, slower than we can perceive, things that happen in the spectrum of light that's not visible, so mm-hmm. x-rays, gamma rays, you know, whatever. And that's going to be the same thing when we start to really understand dark matter. It's going to be a function of having to develop tools that allow us to see fluctuations, that allow us to better measure gravitational lensing, uh, to, to, to have eyes in the darkness and once we can have eyes in the darkness i mean we used to not know that air was made of stuff we used to think that like there was somebody who was talking about i god i i really want to give credit to the um comedian but i don't even know who it is it might have been louis ck or somebody but there was literally a time when we didn't understand that things were 
um, uh, reductionistic in nature. Like a frog, this was the joke, which fucking makes me laugh every time I think about it. Like we literally thought that if you cut up a frog, it's just more frog all the way down. You know, it's just frog through and through. And now we understand that there's, you know, organs and then sure. and within those organs, there are cells. And within those cells, there are molecules. And then there's subatomic part. You know, it's like there's a lot there mm-hmm. that we needed tools to be able to see. Of course. No, and I mean, I think you make an excellent point there, Rafa. Science as a tool. Yeah. As a tool, science is clearly one of, you know, it doesn't get any better. I mean, anybody who's not mm, delusional and, you know, so afraid of finding out that whatever their beliefs are bullshit will use evidence to yeah. find out. Everybody uses I mean, evidence. Even people who we think of as right. being anti-science use evidence every day. Of course. Like, otherwise, they wouldn't be able to fucking walk out their front door. Precisely. So, yeah. I mean, evidence is just how you think in a way that make any sense, how you yeah. make stuff work. It's, is you it valid it on, and is it reliable? Right. Does know? this work? Does it not work? Does this does work? And does it work exactly. consistently? Exactly. Well, how can you have global warming when there's an icy vortex right. of doom? <laughs> like, and no, that's where, that that's where you have to have be. more sophisticated tools to understand the evidence. Like, And that's why I worry about everybody voting. Maybe we need to have a little <laughs> quiz, you know. And that's part that's of, I guess, dangerous, the... I know. Depends on who's writing the quiz. Yeah, that reeks of a, of a poll tax yeah. and of a, an era that we're trying to get away from. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the it's other part, I guess, the, the human element of the science. Mm-hmm. You ever read this guy, um, Paul Feyerabend? Um, Not sure. Against Method, he wrote. He's no, a, I haven't. He's an epistemologist out of Berkeley, I want to say. Okay. 70s or so on. And, you know, the guy is clearly a philosopher of science, right? Sure. But at the same time, he writes a book entitled Against Method, like against the scientific method, mm-hmm. which clearly is a provocation because scientific method is the thing that makes stuff worse. Yeah, but we do need to always think about, is it still working and how can right. we make it better? And, and yeah. And I think part of his point was not really against science, actually was pro-science. And because he was pro-science, he was saying what he was arguing really against was the dogmatism that yes. certain scientists apply to something that should be the most anti-dogmatic approach to life you can think of, they managed to turn it as a dogma as well. Totally. And, and if we want to get meta about it, there are whole sciences that are dedicated, like cognitive sciences, uh, uh, psychological sciences that are dedicated to understanding why it almost feels as if it's in our nature, whether it's nature or nurture, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whether it's genetic or, sure. or heavily environmental, to think about things in binary terms, to see the world in black and white, to hold on to what we understand and only be able to focus on things that are novel um, uh, in small quantities because we have to have a foundation. And if we're constantly, if it's kind of like one of my favorite movies, uh, um, I Heart Huckabees, which Mm -hmm. is like a really funny farce about people who are overly philosophical all of the time and questioning everything down to the... and, And when we... You got to find a balance. Of course, it's impossible to survive as a human if you're questioning whether or not you're actually alive at any given point. You know? (laughs) No, I mean, yeah. There's a point where philosophizing is just dumb, and it's just a way to spin on itself. Exactly. It's so helpful, and it's so helpful in conversation, and it's so helpful to take yourself out of your normal routine and talk to intelligent people and question everything and turn everything on its head to understand it better but then you have to still be able to turn things back the right way up to function the very next day when you go to work and you raise your children and and whatever so you've got it you've got to strike that balance and so i mean i'm i I love philosophy obviously i i I minored in it in school i'm not by any stretch Mm -hmm. a 
you know, I t- but I, I was lucky to be able to take uh, the philosophy of natural science, the philosophy of psychology and the mind, some religion courses. But when it comes to all the terminology, you know, yeah, like that. all that, the different that, that types of philosophy. Do, yeah, that I has have nothing to do with life. So that's who cares. Like, what that's the fuck some, is atheism? <laughs> no, that's some like a specialist lingo that serves yeah. no purpose. No. <laughs> but I did really, I enjoyed it so much. It was one of the, the few times, I think, in my academic career where it, I felt really free, where I really enjoyed being able to sit there and have deep conversation. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is you, you have arguments with people. You might disagree about something. And it's hard to dig to the fundamentals of what where you disagree because right. verbiage gets in the way, because um, like preconceived notions get in the way, and there's, there's no structure to it. So w- when you're lucky enough to be in kind of a structured academic philosophy class, you can actually, and with the help of your professor or of graduate mm-hmm. students or people who are, are really informed, you can help get rid of the straw men and all the logical fallacies and you can get into right. exactly what it is you're disagreeing about. Is it uh, because you're disagreeing about language? Is it because you're disagreeing about something that's much deeper? And it's fascinating to understand or to try to understand, because that's really what philosophy is about, trying to understand the world through other people's eyes right. and reconcile that with your worldview. Yeah, because humans are weird-based. I mean, I notice re- whether I'm reading a Did you just say humans are weird-based? Beasts. Oh, beasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, either one is really great. I love it. We, we, sent, out, we sent out a transcript so people... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a simultaneous translation of what actually I'm saying in English. It. But the... Because to me, it's like anytime I read most arguments, whether they are science-based, religion-based, whether they mm-hmm. are about anything, really, I find... Uh, among most people a level of intellectual dishonesty often not not consciously that they oh, are doing almost it. never consciously and yet yeah it's like if i look at i don't know any arg and we can pick any example i just saw one to this morning i thought he was funny but mm-hmm. uh, you know like graham hancock um his theories about sort of the ancient past about how history as we know it is basically all bullshit how there were civilizations before all of that kind of okay. stuff right yeah he brings up some point if you ask any regular academic historians they would say just complete bullshit they look at the argument they'll break it down in certain ways and if i read the academic historian's stand point they make perfect sense yeah i'll read graham hancock he makes perfect sense yeah how can they both make perfect sense when they're arguing against each other because it's like it's like selectively taking some elements and not really talking to each other like they'll take the weakest argument in the opponent's thing yeah. they'll deal with that they'll completely skip on the actually really good piece of like huh if that's how it is what about this piece and i'm like i have nothing i don't care about who wins i don't care about supporting one guy or the other but what i do find is what the fuck why don't you guys t- actually really talk to each other because mm. if we're really here just to figure out what's real let's do it because let's do it not. with an because open hand that's uh, the problem it's especially if you're having public arguments right are you really there to try and figure out what's real or are you there to try and convince somebody that you're right and they're wrong right. and uh, it, it's fascinating though i think the concept of debate legitimate debate is really fascinating one of the guests on my podcast who's also a friend of mine um is a a really well-known physicist, uh, Sean Carroll, who's at Caltech, and he's written a bunch of really wonderful books in theoretical physics. He wrote a book about the Higgs boson. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book about time. And he's also really staunch, kind of a new atheist. Um, but he likes to do debates with uh, theologians. Mm-hmm. He would never debate a Ken Ham type, right? right? Somebody who believes that the Earth sure, is 6,000 sure, sure. years old, because what the fuck is yeah, that? That's but, but debating somebody who, you know understands that science is legitimate but has more sophisticated religious views to be able to talk about 
is the concept of God provable or disprovable, for example? Not is there a God, mm -hmm. but can we disprove the idea of God? Or, you know, these really sophisticated conversations. And you really do learn so much from people who attempt to be intellectually honest sure. and try to learn something from each other to try it. But, but oftentimes it takes, I think, a level of academic... Um, pride. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something about it where it's like you're not trying to make money. Right. You're not trying to whatever. I, I don't know. It's very hard to get to that pure state. It's especially in a culture, in a in a kind of capitalist culture, even in academia, there's so much capitalism Completely. that's made its way in. It's like, are you trying to sell your books? Are you, you know, and, and even then, maybe you're trying to sell your books and you can have an honest conversation, yeah, you know? So exactly. it's, it's so hard to know. And I guess it's just, it's got to be content-based. You have to look at the types of arguments that people are making and listen to yourself and say, does this sound like they're listening to each other? Does mm -hmm. it sound like they're building on each other's frameworks or does it sound like... Like they're bickering because they want to put on a show. Well, you're right. never usually welcome into enemy territory, so it always makes it difficult from the very beginning. You know, exactly. What's this guy doing in here? He's got a blue coat on. This yes. could be trouble. You know, somebody and keep so, an eye on him. And so if definitely they don't, don't show him that book. And, and if they don't feel like enemies because they're, in this pure sense of the term, you know, a theologian who's very mm -hmm. academic, a physicist who's very academic, they're actually colleagues, they're friends yeah. outside of it. And these are the, the types of conversations that they have when they are, you know, having a cocktail party and they're getting drunk together. Right. And then they want to be able to open that up to other people who are going to learn something. That to me is much more honest. But the truth is, we are still human. Right. And there is always going to be the even even if like the most like even the the most kind of pure Buddhist monk living at the top of a mountain, there's going to be just a fraction of pettiness, sure. just a fraction of bias. Like they're, even if they, in their minds, have kind of reached that nirvana state, which of course you can't reach, you're always like moving towards, there's still human elements of that course. get in the way. And that's what, to me, is so frustrating about so many of these debates, because I really, 99% of the time, I don't care to support one side or another or yeah. the other. I really just want to figure it out. And, and learn have, what you can from both. And I have no attachment to who wins. I don't give a fuck if anybody wins. Mm -hmm. It's more just like, can we... And by the way, earlier, in case it was misunderstood in the Graham Hancock episode, I actually like Graham Hancock, so I wasn't referring to him as uh, you know the intellectual dishonesty aspect. I'm referring to the fact that in just about every debate you have this element where people kind of get stuck on one position, they repeat their piece, and it's almost like in any conversation, even interpersonal communication, mm -hmm. even about whatever, relationships or whatever the hell, half of the time, people are not really listening to each other, and there's an element of, when are you going to stop talking so that I can say my piece, and yeah. I'm going to stake my claim and plant the flag, and I win the, you know, I, I'll get my point in, yes. and it's like, that's not the fucking point. Yeah. It's not the fucking point. Is where are we going to get uh, in this interaction? What are we going to get that's useful to life? And it almost seems like that is a conversation that we should have more. Let's say you're in an argument with your, you know, significant other or mm -hmm. with your child or whatever. And it almost seems like, okay, you're going to be kind of petty and, and pissed mm -hmm. off and you start saying things like but you do this and I feel like this and why can't you understand this and your generation's music sucks yeah <laughs> and and then it almost seems like somewhere in there if you can remind yourself and you can be kind of a little bit bigger to say like okay 
we're obviously fighting. What are we actually fighting about? Right. And what is what do we want to get out of this? You know, whether right. it's as of right now, it is pointless for us to talk to each other because we're way too emotional. So we should walk away for a minute or whatever the case may be. Right. Or I just and sometimes it is literally like I just want you to hear me because I feel like you never fucking listen to me and right. I need to vent and I want to be heard. It's like, OK, I'll let you be heard and give sure. you that. Pl- and sometimes that psychologically is beneficial. But to be able to put your finger on it and define why you're having that argument. Precisely. And that's the big difference between an argument that's actually more of, I think, a fight, mm-hmm. an interpersonal conflict, and an argument that's more of a debate. Right. Something that's probably never ending where you're constantly learning from each other. Because I love to argue. Mm-hmm. I love arguing with my friends. I love arguing. And, and that's the philosopher in right. me. But to me, that's not something that's like spiteful no. arguing. It's it's It helps me. Even because, I learn from it. Right. In that kind of quote-unquote argument mm-hmm. is... Uh, you're not out to win or lose. You're out to what can we figure out from these dynamics, whether my point, quote unquote, win out or yours or is somewhere in between. What can we take out as a concrete result that's going to make both of our life better when we walk out? And even if you can't ever come up with a concrete result, it's kind of this idea of like, okay, taking the time to talk to you, I'm now thinking slightly differently about this one thing. Even if it's just the most, the tiniest ripple in the pond, that makes me feel like there's, there's a bit of selfishness in it because it makes me feel like I'm no longer as um, closed off in my bubble, and I've actually gotten something out of this, even if it's minute. Of course, and in some cases, but the thing that you brought up earlier about the interpersonal relationship, the idea of uh, what do we wanna get out of it? Mm -hmm. What's the result that we're trying to achieve here? That get rid of all the bullshit that's about I'm right, you're right. It's like, who the hell cares who's right? I don't wanna be right. I don't give a crap about being right. how is this going to make things better? Yeah. Right, you know, right now, what is that you want? Let's see what is that I want. Can it match? Can we get something where we both walk away happy from and this? And that's the hardest thing for most people to admit. I mean, men and women. Mm-hmm. I think you see it on both sides. Uh, if you're in a fight with your significant other, actually, you know, no matter what your sure. relationship is, uh, I shouldn't even say that there's gender biases there because, like, no. two men, two women are going to have different views a lot of the times, too. But uh, this this conversation about, like, to be able to actually admit, I'm just really upset right now because I feel like you don't listen and I want to be heard mm-hmm. regardless, even if nothing happens. Or, you know, the whole point of me fighting with you right now is because I'm hurt right. and I have to tell you my piece or whatever the case may be. That's sometimes the hardest thing to do right. is when you kind of feel like maybe you are defensive. Mm-hmm. You're the one that's sort of in that defensive position and maybe you don't feel like you're winning quote unquote, the argument to be able to say why you're pushing back so Mm -hmm. hard. And oh, it's just because no matter what comes out of this lately, I have felt, you know, stupid when we talk or I have felt like uh, embarrassed by whatever. And I just want to be able to voice that. I mean, it's very hard to do. Yeah. What's that going to solve when you can pull your heavy artillery out? And then it was last Thursday when you. Exactly. Yeah, because when one says that and he's like, look, this is what I'm trying to get across. This is where I'm coming from. This is why it's bugging me. Yeah, but there was last Thursday. (laughs) At that point, then in the conversation, it becomes oh, okay, well, let's address that. That's fine. And it becomes so much damn easier. And I feel that not only this apply to relationships, however you define them on a mundane level, but even about, quote-unquote, the big philosophical or scientific or religious arguments. To me, 
ultimately, sometimes, you know, we put these big masks about I am with my little philosophical hat or yeah. really you are a human with needs, with stuff, with emotion. Well, and, and it's like where you are coming from? What, why do you argue this point? Why are you so damn passionate to argue this point, whether the evidence support it or not? And, and that's the important point is that I think that going back to, let's say it's an interpersonal relationship, actually being able to figure out how to, which is not easy to do, but swallow your pride and say, it's because I feel weak. It's because mm-hmm. I feel lately like you don't love me. It's because right. I feel like whatever. It humanizes you. And it humanizes you in a way that it's very hard, unless you are an abusive person, it's very hard to stay violently angry at somebody Absolutely. when they become vulnerable in front of you. But becoming vulnerable, we are so socialized not to do that, especially in Western society mm-hmm. where we're supposed to be these strong individualists who no matter what, nothing's going to get us down. To be able to be vulnerable in front of somebody that, you know, ultimately you're supposed to trust um, in a position where mm-hmm. your, your guard is really up, it actually generally speaking, is going to serve you ultimately because it's going to immediately increase the level of empathy in the room. Absolutely. Um, But that's hard to do. And I think women historically are a little better at it. I think that our brains, that there are certain gender differences that we can point to. And I'm not saying all women, because there are men who are very empathetic and there are women who are really tough in that way. But our brains are somewhat different and we tend to be a little bit better at that. Um, and probably because there are kind of evolutionary reasons for it. We have to be able to immediately become empathetic with our children. We can't, for example, if a, if a kid is being petulant, which they always are when they're young because they're very selfish, you can't be like, well, fuck off. I'll leave you here on right. the street. Like you have to somehow find the empathy regardless and take care of them, right. which is hard to do when you're pissed off of at somebody. So being able to kind of swallow that pride, I think, is a bit important. Yeah, it's and which easy. ultimately, but it benefits you. It benefits yeah. everybody, really. Yeah, but I mean, moment. ultimately, we're it's, pretty selfish people, yeah. right? Like altruism is like not actually that common. So, so it's like, come on, like it's better for you, but right. it doesn't feel that way at the time. No, and the fly yeah, off the handle like, switch is always available. It always so. feels better. Yeah, right. that always feels better. Yeah, in that sense, is the difference between smart selfish and stupid selfish. You know, it's like it's still selfish to be because it's ultimately, you know, you're not mother Teresa. You're doing it because ultimately it benefits you. It makes you feel better. You get be- something better out of the conversation, yeah. but it's more long term rather than, you know, short-term pride bullshit. Yeah. So time is running out on us amazingly quickly. Let's uh, talk, talk nerdy to me. Let, oh, okay. How's all that going? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so I talk, talk Nerdy is my new podcast. So I used to do a video series at HuffPost called Talk Nerdy to Me. Um, and I loved it. And, you know, I brought the name there. I had done a, a pilot for HBO. But since I did all of my Talk Nerdy to Me's at HuffPost, they own them. Oh, you mean a corporation took your idea <laughs> and made it their own. <laughs> And then you don't own it anymore. That's strange. So I figure I'll call the podcast Talk Nerdy. That's a different thing. So what's your favorite kind of three science stories of the day? Oh, gosh. Oh, of the day? Are you kidding me? Can I I throw them to you? I just woke up. I haven't even read the news yet today. That's so cruel. the, The fun thing is this won't even exist in the world for two more months so sure, we'll be what is deep it? into World War oh, Three by that's, then that's good so I can just talk about anything or the right. asteroid strikes yeah. probably will that's <laughs> right. my favorite one that there's 13 times as many asteroid strikes over the past two years than any, or 20 years than anybody ever knew oh wow that, yeah I was gonna say is it because we haven't measured just not looking yeah just, we're just not looking but it just there's so a lot happened, of shit they, out there that could kill us oh man it's everywhere it's we everywhere. don't even bother to look for sure it's everywhere well there's what's a- your favorite um, climate change the destruction of the ocean 
Which climate change worries is my you the most? favorite. No, yeah. So, um, no, climate change is not my favorite. Um, worries me the most, I think, are two things. Um, one is very scientific and one is scientific by proxy. So climate change worries me the most, but the reason that climate change worries me the most, more than anything, has to do with um, with the social structure that we have uh, in global society. So as we mentioned earlier, I'm a strong uh, advocate of the thinking that we are only strong as the weakest among us. The reason climate change worries me so much is not so... Okay, yes, it worries me that we're killing the planet. Like, let's say that point blank. But the truth is, we're not going to fucking kill the planet. We're going to kill ourselves off of the planet. It'll bounce right back. Exactly. It'll be fine. Granted, we're destroying lots of species along with us, which is totally fucking unfair. But we're also killing ourselves. And what we're really doing is we're killing the poorest among us first. We're injuring the poorest among us first. And so climate change is obviously very worrisome because we're in it now we're deep in it we're not going to be able to get out of it ever we might be able to mitigate mitigate and get to a point where we can exist with it if we don't let it get that much worse but we're never going to get back out of it like not in our lifetime probably not in our grandchildren's lifetime but the thing that worries me even more than that catastrophic horrible thing that keeps me up at night is how much um, of a split we have globally between rich and poor and how how much of a divide there is and how much money can really solve a lot of problems, but only certain people are privy to that. Well, you're not going to get onto Elysium with that attitude. Exactly. That's and not going to work. There are people, and that's the thing, like we think, okay, there's this big, this recent climate report that's like, oh my God, American cities are already being affected and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, when's the last time you visited Southeast Asia right. or you thought about people who have already had to retreat because their houses were flooded? Yeah, we're nine we, feet above the... Exactly. Like, we're fucking rich. We're the, we're going to be the last people to feel it. And the fact that we're already feeling it, how about we open our eyes and see the people that are already in it, like really struggling and dying because yeah. of this activity. And that's something that really worries me more than anything else. And it goes back to all of the themes that we always talk about. It's something as sort of lofty sounding or as complex sounding as campaign finance reform, which is money in politics, all the way down to, uh, you know, corporate welfare and, and, and keeping... My thing is like, I'm not anti-wealth. And people oftentimes look at me and they think that I'm like a hardcore socialist, like, and they mix up socialism and communist. Oh, you you must be a communist. Like, it's all the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. It has sharing involved. This yeah. can't be allowed. And so it's like, no, I totally am all about people who make money and people who are prosperous reaping in the benefits of that. But if it happens on the backs of people who are being taken advantage of, that's where I fucking draw the line. Yep. And in my mind... Um, you know, there's a line in a in a, a no effect song in the War on Errorism album, which is a fucking really good album. Um, it's it's a much more kind of sophisticated album, kind of post George uh, Bush's uh, George W. Bush's um, uh, administration. Rain. Yeah, rain. And there's a line in this one song where uh, Fat Mike basically says, uh, "When one makes twenty million, ten thousand people lose. What keeps that man from swallowing a shotgun?" Because I think that's the part of the puzzle that we never stop to think about. There's only so much money, and there's only so many resources. And I'm not saying everybody needs an equal share, but so long as the least fortunate among us are okay, so long as they're okay, yeah. there's morality in this. Right. The minute that in order for somebody who's so rich to be that much richer, they're willing to make somebody 
to be somehow involved in another person dying of hunger yeah. to be somehow and those are the things that we don't often think about and mm -hmm. we don't like to put a real face on and that to me is what worries me more than anything else yeah when you see that asshole pull his 300 million dollar yacht up into the yeah. harbor and you know that thousands of children are going hungry in just this city yeah times the world and somehow you know it, it's I, I wouldn't okay. be surprised if you could trace certain specific actions back to taking something out of the hands of somebody less fortunate in order to put it into the hands of somebody who doesn't even need it. Right. That's where I get concerned. I'm not talking about equality. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about everybody has the same piece of the pie. I'm talking about a, a, a level at the bottom, the bottom 10% or yeah. what's growing. That's the other unfortunate thing. Maybe it's the bottom 40% now. Whatever it is, the people who can't make ends meet and who are dying of waterborne diseases and who yeah. are dying of preventable diseases. Like, basic healthcare, basic needs, if we can figure out how to have a global society where there's a foundation underneath us, everybody will prosper. It's unbelievable how far down everybody is. I mean, the HuffPost yesterday had the headline that a billion people shit in the street every day. Yeah. One in seven. Yeah, and that's something that we yeah. don't think about because none of those seven are here. No, we and got those golden, we got those wonderful warmed up waterfalls in our those closets in our room that and spray water on it, it's clean. It doesn't, I mean, I care about you know this concept of oops sorry Siri um, I care about this concept of taking care of our own and and, and of course but when I I used to have conversations um, especially during the peak of this um, horrible famine in in the eastern horn of Africa and I would have kind of conversations online about it and I would get a lot of blowback from people saying like why the fuck would you you know worry about that when we've got people in our own country who are starving and yes you're right I am really worried about poverty everywhere right. but and i don't i don't want to make it be a shades of gray thing but triage is a real thing right in hospitals there's a there's a system called triage which is if somebody's bleeding out of a gaping neck wound because they just got shot they're not going to wait their turn for the guy in front who broke his finger they need to go in first because right. they could die so so when we think about triage the 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 people in our country who are starving don't look like the people in no. Somalia who are starving. And that's something that we have to remember. They don't have bloated bellies because of parasitic diseases and literal skin and bones. If you see people that look like people who mm -hmm. are starving in Africa in our country, it's oftentimes because of psychiatric illness. It's because they have uh, right. anorexia or something like that. It's very rare. The, the homeless people on the streets in America have... Um, stuff. They have yep. shopping carts full of stuff. They have more goods than many people who are living what you would think of as a normal life in uh, in, in less fortunate areas. And so that's something that I, it's just about perspective. Right. And the more perspective that we have, the harder it is to ignore the fact that uh, we should we should just be making decisions that hopefully benefit everybody and not just a chosen few. Amen. <laughs> Indeed. So I'll get it in one more time. I got to say the name. Cara Santa Maria for you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you guys so much. That was, that was a lot of fun. Painless, right? Yeah, easy. Have it, folks. Cara Santa Maria. Where's the Pinta and the Nina? I, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. All right, guys. 
Check her out. She's got her own website, carasantamaria.com. You can talk to her on Twitter at, at carasantamaria. Be, tell, be sure to you know let her know you heard her on the Drunken Taoist. And uh, just to wrap things up before we get finished for this week, audible.com, a fantastic place for you to get online books, audible books for you to listen to on your long commutes or your train rides into town when you're finally had enough of all these fine podcasts which seems a bit hard to believe maybe it's time to listen to the great gatsby on book something that you didn't read in high school but should have daisy house music as always thank you so much for our fantastic theme song we love it and go to daisy house download a song or two thank those fellas for getting us a kicking track and caracala chocolate crazy delicious nutritious chocolate doesn't even seem to go together feel free to treat yourself go online click up some chocolate it'll be there for you to enjoy all right everybody uh next week next week so next time Danielli will be back with us and i hope he and baby is are having a fantastic time in italy getting uh, her a taste of some real culture unlike the uh walmartian mcdonald corporate culture of the united states they're probably just enjoying uh fantastic italian dishes and great weather and we should all be a bit jealous so let's send them all our best from back here in the states and we'll see y'all next time thanks so much everybody And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> These are great. It's fucking awesome. Get back to work.